In Romans 5, verse 12, we read, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And in 18, verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. These and many other parts of Scripture are the basis of our instruction in the Catechism. Lord's Day 3, question 7. Whence then proceeds this depravity of the human nature? from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise, hence our nature is become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. The last time, last Sunday morning, beloved, we spoke on Adam as he was created. And I will not repeat, but briefly remind you that we called attention to Adam's nature, both from a natural and a spiritual point of view. Uh, secondly, to Adam's relation to God that is the relation of the covenant not a covenant of works but a covenant of friendship in which he stood created by virtue of his standing in the image of God We call attention to Adam's relation to the world, and finally we call attention to his mandate or calling as prophet, priest, and king to rule over all things in the name of God and to love the Lord as God with all his heart and mind and soul and strength. This morning, we have to call your attention to Adam's fall, according to the seventh question of the Heidelberg Catechism. And calling your attention to Adam's fall, we First of all, consider that fall as such. What was that fall of Adam? Uh, secondly, we consider uh, the immediate results of that fall. And finally, we consider the results of that fall for us and for the human race. Adam, beloved, stood in paradise. We do not know what that paradise was. We do not know how large it was. We have no conception of that first creation that stood in the state of rectitude of man. We can no more conceive of that first creation as we can conceive of the creation that is to come. First world, as it was created, was certainly entirely different from the world as we know it 
Das stands to reason. Uh, but I like to compare a paradise with a temple, which I think can very well be done, and Scripture gives us occasion to make that comparison. I like to make that comparison in such a way that in the midst of the garden where stood especially the tree of life was the most holy place. And Adam in the state of rectitude had access to that holy place for undoubtedly the tree of life to him was, I hardly think, a sacrament, but something like a sacrament of the fellowship he had with God. Especially by the tree of life, I think, Adam exercised the most intimate fellowship with God as long as he had access to that tree. Surrounding that midst of the garden of which Scripture speaks and near which stood also the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there was paradise proper. We must not compare paradise to a backyard or to even a large park. Uh, but undoubtedly to a large, extensive stretch of country. That I compare to the holy place. There Adam served God. Served God in the creation of paradise having dominion over the beasts of the field, over the fowls of the air. And there he gave the animals names. And finally there was the court, the country of Eden, where there was much precious gold and stones and so on which is also mentioned in Scripture. So that I think there is a certain comparison. I don't mean to say that paradise was a type of the temple, of course not. The temple was something, that is, the temple among Israel was made with hands. But nevertheless, paradise was a type of the paradise to come. What also is the tree of life? In that paradise, Adam stood in the state of rectitude. And in that paradise was also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The meaning of that tree and the purpose of that tree certainly was not that Adam might become a moral being. As if, apart from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam did not know the difference between good and evil. That certainly is not true. Adam did not stand in a certain state of naiveness or innocence in the state of rectitude. That is not the meaning of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God placed that tree of knowledge of good and evil in paradise because Adam must serve God antithetically. He must so serve God that at the same time 
he rejected and hated evil. Now, in the state of rectitude, there was nothing uh, that could possibly induce Adam to evil and to sin. He was perfect, as I said, in parts. There was no sin within him. There was no sin without. There was no temptation as such in Adam or in the world. But when God placed that tree of knowledge of good and evil, and as it were, arbitrarily, without any reason, apparently without any reason, connected his word with the tree, thou shalt not eat of it, Adam stood before the antithesis. That is, now he had to serve God positively, keep his word with the rejection of the word of the devil, the word of the untruth, the word of the lie. Hence, the name of that tree. The name of the tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If Adam refused, refrained from eating of the tree, he would know the good and love it and hate the evil. If Adam, on the other hand, disobeyed the word of God and took the fruit, he would also know the good, but hate it, and love the lie, and love the evil. That is the meaning of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which God intentionally placed in the garden. God is no prohibitionist, beloved. God does not like prohibition. God does not like to remove temptation from his people. He puts temptation in their way. That's evident. He puts temptation in their way in order that they may overcome it and prove their faithfulness in his covenant. That's the purpose. The reason he sent, he sent, or if you want to, rather, it's all right to me too, he allowed the devil to come to paradise. I say he sent him. And the devil, beloved, came in the form of a serpent. The devil had to have an instrument because in the first place the occasion, the stumbling block, was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of that tree God had said, Thou shalt not eat. The tree was a sensuous thing, a thing that could be perceived by the senses. And the devil, the spirit, he had to have an instrument in order to be able to call attention to that tree. That's one reason. Another reason is that Adam had no access to the mind and heart 
of man and the state of rectitude. He could not directly tempt Adam and Eve because they were upright. Now it is different. The devil has access to the world also directly. Nothing. And that he uh, caused the shepherd to be his instrument was undoubtedly because, as Scripture tells us, the serpent was the wisest, the most subtle of all the animals. We do not know the serpent anymore because after the curse he crawls on his belly and he eats dust. That was because of the curse. Uh, but I think that the serpent was an animal that was, as it were, let me say, the mediator of all the animals with men. We would say, uh, no, all sides would say, the missing link. The missing link is not the monkey. The missing link is the original serpent, I think. That is, there was a certain animal that represented the animals with man, imperative. I think the serpent was the most intellectual the most wise among the animals, not the monkey. And now I use monkey in the literal sense, and not in the figurative sense as he used it last Sunday. But, beloved, because of that fact, The devil used the serpent. Maybe it was not even so much of a surprise to Eve that the devil spoke to her. Not even so much of a surprise that the monk, that the serpent spoke to Eve. However that may be, the fact is that the devil made use of the serpent as an instrument. And uh, he made use of the serpent as an instrument to tempt the woman, not the man. And that was not because the woman was more liable to temptation and to sin. That's impossible. The woman also stood in righteousness, knowledge, Righteousness and holiness. There was no question about that. But I think in the first place, beloved, the devil made approach to the woman because she did not have the command of God directly. She had it from Adam. In the second place, because she did not have the responsibility Adam had. Even if she fell, the thing would not have been determined and settled. It was conceivable that the woman fell and Adam remained standing and nothing would have happened, have happened except that the woman would have died. Everything depended 
not on a woman, but on Adam. And therefore, it is evident that the woman from that point of view, not feeling the heavy responsibility which Adam felt, could be approached more easily. And I think in the third place, we can mention this too, uh, that the devil thought, I'll try the woman first, and then through the woman, uh, try to tempt the man. It's easier to tempt the woman through the man uh, than to tempt him directly. That's always the case. That's even the case now. Beloved, notice in the second place that temptation. I elaborate a little on this because it's these, these are the fundamentals. If you draw the lines correctly here, you have no danger of going astray later. These are the genesis, the genesis of things. And the genesis of things must be straight. Notice the temptation. The devil comes and tempts the woman in a threefold way. First, he tries to create doubt about the good intention of God. Or, rather, about the good idea of the commandment which God gave to man. He tries to make it appear as if that commandment was foolish. He does that in the question, Is it that God had said that you may not eat of every tree? That does not mean to sow doubt in the heart of the woman as to the exact meaning of the commandment, but it is an argument, beloved. The devil means to say, if that is true, if you can eat of all the tree of the garden, uh, trees of the garden, don't you see the foolishness of uh, the commandment that you may not eat of this particular tree? There's no poison in that tree, is there? Second, and the woman, the woman already falls, beloved. The woman falls outright, immediately. The fall of the woman took place from the start. That's evident from the fact that she listened to the devil at all. She shouldn't have listened to the devil. She shouldn't have. Uh, I think, as I've said before, she should have uh, said to the devil, you come when my husband is home. Come back when my husband is home. He'll talk to you. I can't talk to you. I know... Have the responsibility. Talk to him. Instead she talks. But secondly, beloved, that's also evident from the answers she gave to the devil. She exaggerated the commandment of God tremendously. She said, Oh no, we may need of the tree, neither may we touch it. That wasn't true. They may touch the tree, all right. God never said that. You could depend on it. When one exaggerates things, he feels his weakness. The woman was already fallen. The moment she talked to Adam, she talked to the devil, and allowed herself to be talked to, because I think, uh, she already fell in a pride. She was kind of proud, I think, by that time, to have a conversation about just an important thing. And in a pride she fell. 
life is one of the elements of sin. Secondly, and that shows that uh, she was uh, receptive for the temptation, uh, she uh, hears the contradiction of the devil without comment. He shall not surely die. That was the second element. Moreover, the devil says, slandering God, it does not only contradict him, but slanders him. God knows that uh, you shall be like him. He doesn't look for your good. And he doesn't seek your welfare. He's afraid, he's jealous that you shall be like him. He listens. That's the second element. Revealing the devil, revealing himself as Satan and the devil, opponent and slanderer of God. And he listens. In the third place, there is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes because the devil shows the beautiful fruit of the tree he says the tree is good to eat good to make wise beautiful to look at Eve ate and all we read is she gave Adam to eat that was the end. We did not know. Stairs the reason, beloved, that when Eve had sinned, she couldn't stand not to have Adam sin. That's, that's the reason. A perfect husband cannot live with a sinful wife. Eve felt that, and she made an immediate attempt to bring Adam to her level. That stands to reason. You can understand that. But nevertheless, Adam fell. You could ask, for instance, uh, how is it possible that a man that is sinless can fall? I said last time, beloved, and that must be the final answer to that question. God did not cre create man in final perfection. He was perfect. He was good. But he was not perfect in the final sense. He had a will to do good. That was his freedom. But he was lapsable. He could fall and turn around and sin. That is the way man was created. And that is the answer to the question too. How was it possible that man could sin? In everlasting perfection that will be impossible. Just as it was impossible for Christ to sin. Because then beloved. We and the human nature of Christ is grounded in and connected with the Son of God. And then we can never sin anymore. The sin was certainly a wanton sin, a wanton disobedience. Very wanton. It was not, you must never, never allow the world to uh, make fun of the apple as it is often called, beloved. Don't let the world make fun of that. The world uh, ridicules that idea. But I think just because God connected his word with the fruit, while there was all kinds of fruit round about that tree, it was a very wanton sin. Much greater sin than if Adam would have chopped down in raving madness all the trees of paradise. Much greater. It was rejection.
application of the Word of God. That sin, it was acceptance of the lie of the devil. It was wanton disobedience, rebellion. That's the sin of Adam. The immediate result, immediate effects of that sin was twofold, beloved. In the first place it was, of course, principally that Adam died. That was the principal result. God had said, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And die he did. That day, that moment, he was dead. Dr. Kuiper and the others that maintain the theory of common grace deny this. They say that uh, when God said, The day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die, he meant it as a prophecy, not as a punishment. Just as you say to a man, if you eat that Paris green, you will surely die. So God said to Adam, if you sin, you will surely die. But God prevented it, prevented Adam from dying by common grace. Just as when you say to man, if you eat that parish green, you will die, uh, but you give him immediately an antidote to spit out the poison. Uh, so uh, Dr. Kepper says, and the others too, that all those that teach common grace say that uh, God said to uh, Adam, you shall surely die, but uh, when he did sin, he gave him an antidote, and that antidote was common grace, so he spit out the poison. Uh, that's a story, beloved, a terrible story, a very deceiving story. Besides, I'd like to know how any man uh, can give an antidote to poison in such a way that the man is half alive. As the sinner is supposed to be. No, beloved, that uh, was no prophecy, that was a threat. The, the day thou eatest thereof, uh, thou shalt surely die. Or as the Hebrew has it, moth to moth. Dying thou shalt die. That's the Hebrew. And dying, Adam did die. Physically, Spiritually and eternally. God. It was the beginning. That's alright. Makes a difference. But Adam did die that very moment. His body was corrupted. That very moment. Corruption of death crawled in his body. He was dead. His body was dead. In the, in the throes of death. He was weak. He was in dishonor. And spiritually he was dead, beloved, in sin and misery. Sin and trespasses. Adam could not turn around as the Pelagian has it. Adam could not turn around and say to God, Oh God, I'm sorry that I sinned. That was impossible. Because he was dead. When God inflicted the punishment of death upon Adam, he was dead. Dead in trespasses and sin, spiritually dead 
And he could not, he would not, he could not will to repent anymore by nature. From that moment the thing had become impossible. God, that was the moment he entered into eternal death, everlasting death of God. Unless he was changed and saved, beloved, Adam stood in the midst of eternal death. There was no help. There was no way out. Adam's condition and our condition had become hopeless, absolutely hopeless. And hopeless it must be. Otherwise you do not appreciate Christ and his work And otherwise you do not appreciate the only comfort in life and death that you belong to him. Hopeless. Absolutely hopeless it must be. But there's more, beloved. Other consequences of sin are concerned with this present world. The world changed. There was no paradise anymore. Oh, there was a semblance of paradise which God shut out. Maybe until the time of the flood, I did not know. But the world had changed altogether. The creature was cursed. God put the curse on the creature for man's sake. Man, sinful man, could not be in the midst of an uncursed world. Man and creation are one organism and they stand and fall together. Hence, God put the curse upon creation and the creature is made subject to vanity. That means, beloved, there is no more culture. Culture is nonsense. Oh, there's a little development within a certain circle. Within the circle of vanity there is uh, development. That's too. Development from a horse and buggy to an automobile and an airplane, but there's really no development. There's no, really, no difference between the horse and buggy and the airplane. Not really. You go a little faster, that's all. That's not good, Jack. Vanity of vanity. It's all vanity. That's the preacher. And the creature is made subject to vanity. Don't forget that. That's Romans 9. The creature is made subject to vanity. That word. Besides, because of that sin-cursed earth, thorns and thistles, and vanity of the creature, the man's toil is great, even to eat a living out of that sin-cursed world. With toil in the sweat of thy brow thou shalt eat. That was not Adam in the state of righteousness. That's still the case. That's why we have all the economic troubles, beloved. That's why we have communism. Inevitably. Inevitably. That's why we have unionism. Just that, because of that. That's why we shouldn't have anything to do with it. We who stand in the fear of God. But I can, I can understand 
that the world wants, wants the world, and wants all that is possible of the world. But even, even, beloved, if everybody had everything in common, there would not be enough to have plenty. The world is cursed, even though it has changed somewhat at the time of Noah. Then there is the curse, the temporal, the temporal curse upon the woman. In sorrow uh, thou shalt conceive, and sorrow thou shalt bear children. That belongs to the sin too. Not only that, beloved, but we read here, and I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. I think we must read that latter and thy conception literally. The Lord multiplied the conception of the woman. That is, he increased her capacity to conceive. Normally, a woman can conceive almost a child every year. That was not so before the flood, before the fall. But it was so after the fall. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. You must understand, beloved, that the thing had to be hurried up. God could not wait, reverently speaking, to have the church brought forth in millions of years. The woman must not conceive a child in every 25 years, probably. Oh no, I will greatly multiply their conception because the church and also the reprobate must be brought forth in the hurry. Behold, I come quickly. Christ must come. Christ was in the loins of Adam when he fell. And Christ must come. And he must come quickly. Also in the old dispensation. Hence, God greatly multiplied the conception of the woman. But beloved, all this, and then I must close, there's plenty of material yet for anyone to preach on this Lord's Day. And no more time. All this, you must not forget, stood with Christ in the background. Christ was the firstborn of every creature. That's the gospel. That's the gospel in the fall. Adam fell on Christ. I think Adam was also at once regenerated. He fell on Christ. Christ stood back of him according to the counsel of God. Christ stood back of him. And therefore, Adam burned Christ. And through Christ, all the elect fell through Adam on Christ at that very moment. That's why God could say, 
I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise its ear. That was the gospel. There is no gospel except in Christ. That was the promise. The promise. The sure promise. The divine promise. The ever unconditional promise. I will establish my covenant, but now in Christ. In Christ. Not only that, but the whole world fell upon Christ at that very moment. The whole creation fell upon Christ. Christ did back, not only of Adam, but Christ did back of the whole earth, the whole creation. When Adam fell, and the whole creation fell with him. There was a curse. The whole creation in Adam fell upon Christ, who saves the world. But the world of God, not the world of sin and corruption. And when the world fell upon Christ, beloved, in Adam, fell upon Christ, Christ was its head. And Christ could do with that world as he pleased. Christ made of that present world the stage for the development of election and reprobation. For the development of his kingdom and of the kingdom of darkness. For the development of the antithesis. Christ made that world the stage for that purpose of God. And after <coughs> that world has served that purpose, Christ will renew the world. And translated <coughs> into the everlasting kingdom of God. But the tabernacle of God shall be with men. Hopeless, beloved. Hopeless, yes. Completely hopeless. As we, either I or someone else will tell you next. Sunday, the Lord willing. Hopeless especially because our misery is beyond us. Our sin is not our own individual sin. Our sin was committed more than 6,000 years ago. Personally, I have nothing to do with it, apparently. Yet, God holds me responsible for a sin that was committed 6,000 years ago. It's hopeless hopeless. I cannot pay for that sin. I cannot deliver myself from that sin. It's absolutely hopeless except in Christ. Only hope You cannot have any hope of education. You cannot have any hope of development. There is no development. 
There is no education that will possibly deliver you. Christ. Christ as the new root and the new head of the race in the elect. And if we are in Christ, we are, we are, that's not up to you to decide. Not up to me to decide, to decide. Not up to me to offer it to you. Up to Christ. Up to Christ to engraft you into Him. By true and living faith. That's all up to Christ. And I say, according to your confession, you and your seed your spiritual seed, and you, as the spiritual church, you are engrafted into Christ, are you? You are, aren't you? That's your faith. And in that faith, you can say, this is my only comfort. The only comfort there are the, no other comfort beside my only comfort in life and in death for time and eternity that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel and that's your confession. Amen. We thank Thee, O God, for the Gospel. Cause us to hear the Gospel and to receive it. And sanctify Thy Word unto us that we may indeed hear Thy Word to us personally and be saved from all our foolishness and darkness and guilt and sin and death and have life everlasting. Amen.